episode 87. Alien skeletons, pumpkins, and candy. Face paint, masks, apples, and hats. Let's get making. Greetings and welcome in to this week's Patuxent General. I am your host, Jess. Get ready for an entire month of Halloween festivities. This week, I've got tricks and treats. It's up to you to decide which is which. Today's menu includes an entire beef calf's head, brains and tongue. Done three different ways to please your palate for sure. We also have some innocent wine to try. A special announcement. And this week's haunt is also historical. The General Nathaniel Greenhouse, named for the man who served with General George Washington and the same house which Lafayette visited. It is also one of the most haunted houses in Rhode Island, and there is a lot to say about that. But first, I must thank our Patreon subscribers. These festive folks are the web's tombstones, hay decorative smoke shaking monsters in the bush, and half a peck of candy that fills the witch's cauldron that is the Patuxent General, without whom we would definitely be scared. So thank you. If you would like to be one of these creepy-as-heck people, simply follow the links in the show notes, or check out our page on Patreon.com to make a donation. Every cent matters and gives you access to otherwise unreachable content and ad-free listening. So thank you in advance. Right now... Let's discuss some upcoming events. This just in. The most exciting time of the year is upon us at the Edgewood Congregational Church, the annual Holiday Bazaar. November 18th, 2023, from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. This year is bigger than ever. Lydia's Closet, the thrift store, has been collecting all sorts of really useful items, stunning jewelry, clothing, and that's just them. We are filled to the brim with vendors, food vendors you may recognize from the farmer's market. The Patuxent General itself will be chock full of pies to sell. The Bazaar will have games for the kids and pinball from Electromagnetic Pinball Museum and Restoration. Come join us. November 18th, 2023, from 9 a.m. till 2 p.m. I'll meet you there. As a continuation in our series of disturbing recipes of the past and present, today I bring you a selection of recipes that may disturb you, or that you could use to disturb others, perhaps even find tasty. The first being beef calves head. My source recipe is from Mrs. Seeley's cookbook, written and published in 1902. These recipes are from New York, but are comparable to our area. Folks all around the world have been making versions of this dish from antiquity to tacos de cabeza. And I found that on the internet. I suggest that unless you have had it before, that you buy only the cheeks. They have a good amount of meat and fat. Uncle Rural Gourmet did a lovely demonstration of stewing the head whole and then just slipping the skull out whole afterwards. Wow, it looked amazing. After checking this out a bit, I felt that this really was three recipes. The head itself, 
the brains and the tongue. Perhaps Halloween is a great time to try this treat, or is it a trick? For sure, you're going to have to display the skull, like Mrs. Seeley suggests, on your platter with all the dishes posed around it. The most paired vegetables are onions, garlic, chili peppers, and ginger. Although I saw one recipe for a homemade boneless curry, I think the addition of these aromatics during the simmering could only add flavor. But I would add them whole so that you could fish them out later. Let's get started on Mrs. Seeley's recipe. For it, you will need a half a calf's head, a pot big enough to hold it plus enough water to easily cover the head, a pint of mushroom buttons, a little flour for thickening, about a third of a cup, salt and cayenne pepper to taste, perhaps sage leaves, and this is what she says. Calf's head. The butcher should first prepare the head for use. Wash it thoroughly and remove the brains, which may be kept for frying as mock oysters or may be added later. Cover with cold water and take off the scum as the head begins to heat. Boil it gently for one to two hours. Remove from the fire, let it cool, and bone it entirely. Lay the boned head in a stew pan. Replace the brains if you wish to stew them and simmer gently for an hour in its own gravy. Half an hour before it is served, add a pint of mushroom buttons. If it is necessary, thicken the gravy with a little flour or cornstarch and lay forcemeat balls around the dish in which the head is served. Salt to taste and cayenne pepper should be added during the stewing. If you have not any mushrooms at hand, a bunch of sage leaves, finely minced, may be added instead. For the brains recipe, I chose fried, and for this fried brains recipe, you will need four calves' brains, breadcrumbs dried, two beaten eggs, fresh breadcrumbs or panko, a deep pot, a third filled with fat, or a fry daddy, fresh parsley, and tartar sauce to serve. Remove the arteries and soak four calves' brains in cold water for two hours. Put in a saucepan with water, which strongly tastes of vinegar, a few peppercorns, salt, a bunch of parsley with herbs tied to it, and a sliced onion. Boil slowly for 40 minutes. Drain on a cloth. Divide each lobe into two or more pieces. Sprinkle the pieces with dry crumbs. Dip in beaten eggs, roll in the fresh white crumbs, and arrange in a frying basket. Immerse in plenty of very hot fat and fry a nice color. Drain on paper and serve. Garnish with fried parsley and passed tartar sauce. These fried nuggets remind me of fried clams, and I think they would love to be served with coleslaw as well. Now, while the head is in the pot and you finish the delightfully smart brains, let's move on to the smoked tongue. This one will stun you. This is a modern recipe based on an ancient one. Mrs. Seeley may have said to boil the tongue for five hours, not me. Let me talk about cold smoked tongue with a maple balsamic glaze. That is right, my general friends. What you will receive is a barbecued piece of beef so delicious that you will not notice where it came from. It also can be cut up for tacos, but I don't think you'll be able to wait. For this recipe, you will need about six tablespoons of mustard of your choice, three quarters of a cup maple syrup, 
one beef tongue, three quarters of a cup balsamic vinegar. For the brine, you will need five bay leaves, one onion, black peppercorns, about two tablespoons, five dried chili peppers, and two thick slices of ginger. For the dry rub, you will need about six tablespoons of mustard of your choice, about half a cup of steak spice rub, or two tablespoons salt, one tablespoon sugar, one tablespoon black pepper, one tablespoon granulated garlic, one tablespoon onion powder, half a tablespoon cayenne pepper. Here we go. Most tongues are bought frozen, and that is fine for our purposes. Many people struggle taking off the skin of the tongue. Well, not us. Take your large pot and fill it halfway with water and bring it to a boil. Add the bay leaves, the onion, chopped, the peppercorns, five dried chilies, and two thick slices of ginger. Then add the tongue and boil it for a full hour. Once it cools, the skin comes right off. Next comes the rub. Spread your mustard all over. Then apply the dry rub. Wrap in a plastic wrap and refrigerate overnight. This is key to getting the best flavor. The next morning, stick it in a preheated 200 degree Fahrenheit smoker and let it smoke for five hours. Then glaze it with the maple balsamic vinegar mixed together. Let it smoke for another 15 minutes and voila! Beautiful smoked tongue, ready just after resting for slices, tacos, or chopped for sandwiches. This dish proves that we can do amazing things with food and that nothing should be wasted. Enjoy all. And by that, I mean all the head. Shall we total our tea? I'll let Mrs. Seeley have the last laugh. If you are lucky enough to have fresh grapes growing in your yard, then you are all set for this recipe. But if not, you'll have to find a farm that sells them fresh. You could do it with store-bought grapes, but it wouldn't taste as good and it would be darned expensive. Tell me what you think of innocent wine. Pick from their stalks fine grapes of either the Concord, Diana, Delaware, or Muscatel variety. Lay them in a strong straining cloth in an earthen dish or jar, and bruise or break them with a wooden masher preferable. Hang them in a cloth to drain and squeeze out all the juice, which will carry with it a portion of the colored tissue lying next to the skin and holding the delicious aroma of the grape. Stir in liquid sugar to sweeten it. Have special care that you do not get it too sweet. That is the fault of inexperienced cooks and of the untried palate. Melt the sugar with fresh cold water. In adding the water, use judgment. The proportion is sometimes a third part of water. Set the mixture on ice and serve ice cold in a glass pitcher containing ice. This is a wholesome and delicious afternoon tea drink given with biscuit, slightly sweetened. A cool and refreshing drink. Enjoy. I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his electromagnetic pinball museum and restoration arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball, EM pinball, and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego too. 
$10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. This week, we look at a different house than our usual corner. Let's talk about one of the top 16 most haunted sites in Rhode Island, according to Rhode Island Magazine, the General Nathaniel Green Homestead. The General Nathaniel Green Homestead, also known as Spell Hall, is a historic house at 50 Taft Street in Coventry, Rhode Island. It was the home of American Revolutionary War General Nathaniel Green from 1770 to 1776, and was owned afterward by his brother Jacob Green and his wife Margaret. The house is owned and operated by the General Nathaniel Green Homestead Association, a nonprofit organization, and was opened as a museum in 1924. The house was built by Nathaniel Green in 1770, part of a property encompassing 2,000 acres, and served as his family's home throughout the Revolutionary War. In 1783, Green moved the family to Newport before eventually relocating to Georgia, where he died in 1786. The house he sold to his brother Jacob, it remained in the Green family hands until 1899, and although it became run down and was used as a tenement house in the later years, in 1919, the Nathaniel Green Homestead Association was formed to restore and care for the property. It is now a house museum open to the public. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. It was declared a National Historic Landmark in 1972 and was included in the Anthony Village Historic District in 2010. Thank you, Wikipedia. For a more in-depth look, this time into the supernatural aspects of the house, we listened to Joe Kiernan from the Warwick Beacon. Reported incidents include teams of horses racing up to the house, only for none to appear. Often the scent of freshly baked bread emanates from the house, where nobody lives or could cook, not to mention phantom footsteps, disembodied screams, and doors that open and close by themselves. All of these reports are what brought Joe Kiernan to this interview with Richard Sainbab. Let's listen for a bit. He says, What is surprising is that Green himself is not among the subjects believed to be roaming the relatively modest colonial home, in spite of the fact that he referred to the house as Spell Hall. Richard Seinbab has been working as a volunteer and docent at the homestead for more than 40 years, and he has been convinced that for some time the spirits lurk in its upper rooms. 
I was here by myself once and walked upstairs to Elizabeth Margaret's room and found the baby carriage at the door to the room, he said. For forty years I've never seen that carriage anywhere but its usual place on the other side of the room. From all outward appearances, Simbab is not the sort of person you'd expect to go on about ghosts and things that go bump in the night. He has an encyclopedic grasp of the Coventry branch of the Green family, and conversations with him about the house and the people who live there take on the delicious flavor of fresh gossip. Julia, Jacob's daughter, was considered by many to be the most beautiful girl in Coventry, said Simbab. She married Theodore Foster and took control of the family's businesses. He took advantage of her and ruined the family fortunes with his many business schemes. That's when they lost the forge. He squandered the money. He's buried in the family cemetery, but he doesn't have a marker for his grave. No one is sure exactly where he is buried. According to Rise Up Paranormal, the group that is investigating the ghostly claims... The claims of paranormal activity there include door latches being tripped by unseen hands, anomalous voices heard inside and outside the house, and reports of various human apparitions seen throughout the home. Simbab himself says that he and others have heard sounds that indicated someone was in the house, usually the footfalls or latches being lifted. But he does not claim to have actually seen a ghost. What I do find interesting is the story told by the daughter of the original caretaker of the newly formed Homestead Association in the 1920s, said Seinbab. Before they built the cottage next door, the caretaker's family lived in the house. When the daughter came back for a visit years later, she told of the sound of horses' hooves on the path leading up to the house. She said on a summer night, they could sometimes hear the carriage driving up to the house that would turn to the corner of the house and then fade as it reached the back of the house. For the most part, no one appears to be particularly scared by the ghosts, and Simbab does not report anyone refusing to go into the house because of them. That's probably because the Coventry branch of the Green family was more of the victim of plain bad luck and absent any evidence that Theodore Foster was an evil man and not a simply incompetent one. None of the usual motives for haunting, like murder, madness, or mayhem, are present. Elizabeth Margaret went through three husbands, but they all died of natural causes, said Simbab. Children died here, but that was not uncommon in those days. If you survived to age five, you were probably strong enough to grow up. So my candidate is Elizabeth Margaret, because she lived here the longest and saw so much sadness in her life. More recently, there was a report of the smell of fresh-baked bread permeating in the air around the house one recent Christmas morning, though no one lives or cooks in the home. None of the surrounding homes took responsibility for it. Of course, if you do not believe in ghosts, you may have come to a different conclusion about what happens in the old house. Floors settling boards warping as they get drier or damper, or pranks by humans or any other number of motives, which is why, after resisting it for so many years, the homestead is letting Rise Up come in and take a look around. There are a lot of people who claim to be ghost hunters, but Rise Up has a good reputation for being respectful of the properties they investigate, 
said Seinbab. I think we can trust them to do this in a responsible way. According to their website, Rise Up Paranormal is a not-for-profit organization based in Rhode Island and Connecticut that specializes in the investigation of paranormal activity within the realms of hauntings, UFO experiences, and cryptozoology. Teams are comprised of experienced adults from many professional backgrounds, including historic and archaeological research, psychology, photography, electronics, the defense industry, healthcare, and electronic and structural engineering. They claim their ultimate goal is to conduct unbiased data. We accomplish this by using a variety of recording instruments, thorough historic research, and common sense. We are always available for consultation regarding unexplained phenomena in your home or business, and all of our services are performed at no cost. Of course, there are some who simply don't believe in ghosts, or, as Benjamin Radford asserts, there is no way of proving there are ghosts. Radford is considered one of the best of the truly unbiased, scientifically-based ghost hunters in America and is an avowed skeptic when it comes to paranormal events. The whole idea of ghosts runs into trouble as soon as little logic is applied, he wrote in the Skeptical Inquirer in 2006. There's not even agreement on what ghosts are or might be. A common claim is that ghosts are the spirits of the dead who have been wronged or murdered. If murder victims, whose killings remain unsolved, are truly destined to walk the earth and haunt the living, then we should expect encounter ghosts nearly everywhere. There are about 30,000 homicides in America each year. Where are all the ghosts? Further, Radford says victims would logically want to help police bring their killers to justice. Why would they want to hang out in scary mansions instead of directing police to evidence that would avenge their murders, he asks. Radford is also intrigued by the fashion sense displayed among the apparitional social set. It's one thing to suggest that a person's spirit has a soul that can be seen after death, but do shoes, coats, hats, and belts have souls, he says? Logically, ghosts should appear naked. The fact that they don't suggests that people's ideas of what ghosts are and what they look like are strongly influenced by social and cultural expectation. Radford said, in spite of all the technical trappings and claims of objectivity, the evidence for ghosts is no better today than it was a year ago, a decade ago, or a century ago. Ultimately, ghost hunting is not about the evidence, he wrote. Instead, it is about having fun with friends, telling ghost stories, and the enjoyment of pretending you are searching the edge of the unknown. As for Seambob, Anything that prompts more curiosity about the Nathaniel Greenhouse and more visits, the better. The social and cultural expectations of the bygone era are on display at the homestead for all to see. If they happen to get a glimpse of a ghost at the same time, it's all good. The homestead is one of the hidden historical treasures of Rhode Island, and the more people we can get to care about it, the better we will be able to preserve it. So take a tour and see for yourself. Tell the folks coming with you the stories and have a wonderful time. Or get a serious case of the shivers at the General Nathaniel Greenhouse.
Thank you for joining us once again today at the Patuxent General. If you would like to reach out with a comment, question, or a local ghost story, our email is jess at patuxentgeneral.com. We can't wait to hear from you, so reach out. But until then, I'll meet you right back here next time at the Patuxent General. A Something for Posterity production, pre-recorded in Patuxent.